Good morning, church. Man, so glad that you're here this morning to celebrate that risen Savior with us. Uh, What a joy it is to know the blessing we have in Christ Jesus because of all that he's done for us. We know that all of life's blessings come from God above. Amen. Uh, What a joy it is to be with you today as we encourage one another in song. We're going to dig into scripture here in just a moment and practically see how God's called us to live our life in Jesus Christ. We've gathered around the the communion table and celebrated uh, our risen Savior together. Uh, And so I'm so glad that you're here today to do all of that. But we're also glad to have our guests with us here today. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our Crosspoint family this morning. We hope that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And uh, of course, our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, and we'd love for you to be a part of our family right here, retelling that story of hope that is Jesus Christ. There are lots of ways to get involved in telling that story using your gift set as God has blessed you, and we want to invite you into telling that story uh, with us. So thanks again for being with us this morning. A couple of things I want to make you aware of, uh, Kale's already mentioned, but I want to reiterate. One is our Connect Group uh, table is still set up out in the commons by our baptistry. Uh, and I know I've been out there and looked at those uh, sign-up uh, lists, and not everybody in this room is on one of those forms. I'm not here to make you feel guilty, but I'm just saying. Uh, the expectation here at Crosspoint is that everybody would be in one of those connect groups. It's our small group teaching model right here at uh, our church, and it's a great way to dig deeper into the Word of God each and every week, to pray together as a small group, uh, and then just to get to know one another better, have fellowship one with another. And so I want to encourage you, please, this year, consider being a part of one of those small groups and uh, get your name on that list and be a part of what God's doing in our community and especially right here at Crosspoint. Secondly, uh, our one time a year out at the lake is, is today, and so we want to invite you to be a part of that. It's going to be a load of fun, and so you don't want to miss it. Uh, as we uh, cook out some hamburgers, we'll have some watermelon drinks will be out there, bounce houses for the kids, I think sand volleyball and some other games. Uh, we're going to do some singing as well, so I hope that you'll take time at 5 to come out and join us. Uh, it's an open-ended event, so you can leave when you need to, but we want you to come out and just be a part of what we're doing out at the lake. Uh, tonight. So be a part of that, and and I hope to see you uh, there. I want to mention, it's hard to believe we're in the sixth week today of the book of Romans, and we're closing that series out today. I hope you've got your Bibles with you. We'll be in chapter 12 in just a few moments, uh, and uh, we'll be looking at how God's called us to live our life uh, through Christ and His love for us. But I want to encourage you, be here next week as well. We'll start a brand new four-week series called See Jesus. Because I know that many of you have had some chaos, some heartache in your life. Some things have happened to you this year that maybe you weren't expecting. Maybe uh, the finances haven't lined up just like you thought. Maybe that job that you've been waiting on, you're still waiting on. Maybe you've had uh, experienced loss with a family member or a close friend. Uh, And in those chaotic moments, sometimes we lose sight that God does hear our prayer. He is walking with us, that Jesus is present Uh, And sometimes we lose sight of that. And so hopefully over these next four weeks, starting next week, we'll begin to unpack some of those New Testament stories that remind us that Jesus is there in the chaos, in the storm with us. So make sure and be back uh, next week. Well, in the mid-60s, a guy by the name of Robert Kennedy uh, began campaigning for the Democratic nomination. He began kind of canvassing uh, the nation and seeing, uh, talking to people, talking to citizens and how they were doing and kind of, kind of explaining his platform, if you will. There was about a five or six day period where he crisscrossed a, 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 across uh, Harlem in New York City. 
He had a guide with him, and as he interacted with the folks who lived in that area, he saw burnt-out buildings. He saw boarded-up homes. He talked to people who did not have a job. The unemployment rate was very high. He, he walked and talked with the sleeves rolled up, dust on his shoes, dirt in the creases of his arm, sweat rolling down his brow. He wanted to know what these people were all about. What is uh, your, your plight? And the guide on day two or three asked Mr. Kennedy, why is it that you come here? And Robert answered, I've discovered something, that I don't live in the real world. These people live in the real world. And sometimes in our own life, we, we kind of find ourselves in that bubble, don't we? We kind of have segregated ourselves, and we think what we're dealing with in life is the real world when the reality is so many of us deal with so many different things and some things that, that I don't even have to worry about or touch. Uh, I know I grew up a wasp. Now, what is a wasp? Isn't that guy cute? Look at that. Hey, I don't know what happened to him, but he was cute back then. A wasp is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and that's the bubble I grew up in. That's who I ran around with. That's what my family was about. Now, we did missionary work overseas, but relatively speaking, the people that I talked to and interacted with looked a whole lot like me. But as I grew and I learned what God's called me to, and being 25 years in ministry, I've had the blessing and the pleasure to do a lot of short-term missions to go overseas, to be a part of different cultures. I've, I've interacted with Fijians and lived in Vanuatu in the South Pacific. I've, I've lived with the Cameroonians. I've lived um, and worked in Croatia, worked with Jamaicans. I've worked with the French, and yes, even Minnesotans. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But each and every one of those groups of people look different than me look different in the culture that they live in, the things that they hold value to, the the theological slant that they may have in life, how they interact with their kids and their spouse. All of those things are sometimes different than I have experienced in life. And I realize that God has called all of us to love his creation. You see, leaving home was a good thing for me because I had to begin to weigh how I'm going to live life, how I was raised. I had to wrestle with the stories I had been told and measure those against the life of Christ and say, is this who I'm really called to be? Have have I prepared myself for the life God's called me to live in his son, Christ Jesus? Am I going to be a person who loves no matter what people look like or act like or live like? You see, not only difference the only difference between us and them is maybe where we live or our skin color or our zip code because God created each and every one of us in his image. We're all created the same. We began our study in Romans chapter 13 some six weeks ago where Paul reminds us in verse 9 of chapter 13, For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and all other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And Paul, as we started our study, reminds us 
that if we want to be found in Christ, if we want to be his disciple, then it's about how we love one another and how we love God. Paul quotes straight from the lips of Jesus Christ, love God, love people. No qualifiers. That we're just simply called to love. And I will admit it's easier to follow that commandment when someone looks just like me, isn't it? It's easier to love someone who who basically is in the same tax bracket and who lives in the same part of town and has the same skin color and likes the same teens as I. It's easier to do that, but that's not how we're called to love. It's an inclusive kind of love. Yet a month ago, we saw tragically in our news an area called Charlottesville, Virginia, where a group of people basically are saying, I'm a little bit better than you. I've got everything together and you don't. I'm loved a little bit deeper than you. We see people who wake up every morning with the agenda of hate and belittlement on their mind, yet we look at the life of Christ and we see that there are no qualifiers to his statement of love God, love people. Nothing gets in the way of what Jesus wants to do in his calling us to the type of life that he wants us to imitate. It doesn't matter your skin color or your religious creed, your sexual preference. It doesn't matter your ethnic background, your socioeconomic status, your political affiliation, your zip code, your educational level. Jesus says, I love you. That's all he says. And we're called to imitate him in every possible way. Jesus says, as Paul reiterates all through this letter to the church in Rome and then to us, that this grace, this love I offer is for everyone. Now, if you've got your own Bible with you, the paper kind, write that in the margin, the word everyone, because that's who we too are called to love. Everyone. And all throughout the New Testament, we see this idea reiterated time and time again. Paul starts this letter in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 by saying, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Or the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. He preaches that terrific sermon from the steps of the temple in Jerusalem. And at the very end of it, he says, all those who believe can be saved. Everyone can be saved. doesn't matter who you are if you believe in Jesus Christ. And we know at the end of that sermon, some 3,000 men are baptized, but we know that's not the whole number because it doesn't count women and children. The church started with a huge bang that day. The same man, the Apostle Peter, reiterates in his letter in 2 Peter chapter 3, that God is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Everyone. See, God loves his creation. That's me and you. As we said last week, all of creation awaits for the moment where we will be reunited like we all were in the garden. We're called to love one another. And as we said last week, belief affects behavior. Do we really believe 
what God's called us to do through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul says in chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, these words that we'll be different people than the world around us. He says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And there's that word, everyone, again. You see, belief affects behavior. And I will be different than the world around me when I proclaim that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, when I fully buy into what He's done for me on the cross, the grace and mercy that I have in my own life because of what He's done. I will love other people no matter where I find them in life. When Robin and I first married, the very next day, we moved to Minnesota. We began, uh, we found a little church there to worship with um, in Owatonna, a little town called Owatonna. And uh, Sunday evenings was small group night, and we went to the preacher's home, Randy Martin, to a go into Bible study to eat together. And Randy studied with lots of people in town, and many of them came to this particular small group. And I specifically remember a guy by the name of Travis. Now, Travis was a Caucasian guy, long hair. I made sure that I sat across the room from him because I wasn't too sure about Travis, to be honest. Travis had come out of the world, you see. He was, he was a different kind of guy than I was used to hanging out with. Travis had been involved in animal sacrifice, satanic worship. He'd actually been present at the murder of a couple of people. But he had made a decision he was going to change the person he was. He was going to try something different. He wanted to know more about Jesus. And each and every week, it was interesting, he would pick one thing that was in his life that he knew was wrong, and he was trying to amend it, trying to fix it. And I remember this particular Sunday night, Travis came to our group, And he said, because he lived with his girlfriend, that he, all week long, that they had showered together, but they had not been together. He was really proud of that. Wasn't worried about everything else. And I remember that particular night saying to myself, I'm glad I'm not Travis. You see, I, I didn't have a lot of compassion in my heart for a guy like Travis. I didn't really care to love Travis. But God did. And we're called to imitate God no matter who comes into our life, who comes into our picture, whatever they might be doing, we're called to love. You know, every year you hear about uh, a pastor or minister who has had some moral indiscretion, and, and it's hurtful, and it hurts the church, and people are devastated. It is hurtful. But it's interesting, if we don't 
personally extend love to those around us, we don't count that as failure, do we? We don't chalk that up to failure. I mean, I could live in my neighborhood for weeks on end, month after month, maybe year after year, and never express the story of hope that is Jesus Christ to those who are on either side of me, maybe reaching out to them when there's been a birth or a a death in the family, reaching out with food, or maybe if there's no work, or maybe someone's sick, mowing the yard, or maybe in a crisis moment, keeping their kids. I would never maybe reach out in those moments to express Love, or maybe right now as we watch all the natural disasters that are occurring in our country and never offer help of any kind to those who are in need. But nothing would be said of me, would it? Not one negative thing. It's, it's no scandal, and why is that? Because for some reason, among followers of Christ, we aren't haunted by a lack of love. You and I move on through life enjoying our bubble and those who look like us. But see, God is haunted by a lack of love. God wants to love me and you. His desire is to be in our life and to help all those who are seeking peace in their life and hope in their life and love in their life and to be known. And so many times we find ourselves where Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 of Matthew where Jesus says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall watching Jesus teach and interact with the religious elite of the day. He uses so much hyperbole, it would have been hilarious. That's a, pre- that's a preaching moment for another day, though. But there are moments when you and I, we take that plank out of our own eye and we build a wall instead of a bridge, don't we? Or we make sure if you stay over there and, and I'll stay over here, everything will be okay and we fail to build bridges to those that we interact with each and every day of our life. But God calls us to not build walls, but to build bridges. There's a story that really illuminates this in Acts chapter 10, again, concerning uh, the apostle Peter. It's a tough story, and it's uncomfortable for us, because as we see the story unfold, it becomes uncomfortable because we realize that Jesus Christ handpicked Peter to be one of his disciples. Matter of fact, he's kind of the leader of all the disciples. This is the same guy that uh, preached that sermon in Acts chapter 2, and the church began with with a bang. It's the same guy who was in arm's reach of Jesus when Jesus said, go into all the world and teach my story, preach my story, extend hope and love to all of those around. But what we find in Acts chapter 10 is not the guy that we would hope 
You see, when we read chapter 10, what we find out is that that Peter is really a self-righteous, pride-filled man, prejudiced against anyone that does not have his ethnic background, that does not have his connection to Abraham, that does not have his skin color and language, that doesn't have his religious preference. I mean, to be fair, Peter was taught from a very early age what it meant to be a Jewish man. He would have been taught that if you're ever out in public and you brush up against someone who is a non-Jew, get home as quickly as you can so you can wash off the contamination because they're just not as good as you are. If there's ever a non-Jewish woman never help in any way with the childbirth process because that's simply bringing a non-Jew into the world. And why would you want to do that? He would have been taught never go into a Gentile's house and certainly never invite them into your home because that would be an unholy moment. You would be contaminated. You would have to go through a cleaning process in order to get yourself right yet again. You see, for Peter, it was comfortable to be around people like him in his bubble, the people who had the same heritage and the same rules and the same laws and how to treat your wife and your kids and all of that would have been very comfortable for Peter. What we discover in Acts chapter 10 is that really for the first 10 years of Christianity, there wasn't really a message directly preached to a Gentile. For the first 10 years, it was about converting Jews into Christianity. But God had to take Peter out of his comfort zone and bring him face to face with a Gentile by the name of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. It was a moment of awakening for Peter. And it was only when Peter watched God do transformational work in Cornelius' life that Peter could finally conclude this in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. See, God loves everyone. Not just a select few. Not just those who have it all together But God treats everyone the same. Everyone has the opportunity of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter where you find yourself, how badly you believe that you have messed up in life, God loves you. But we all have that instinctive nature within us, don't we, to take the plank out and build a wall? You stay over there and we'll all be fine. We build walls between black and white, between African-American and Hispanic, between Americans and North Koreans, between those who have tattoos and piercings and those who do not. We build walls between those who find themselves on the Republican side or the Democratic side. We find Walls between graying seniors and millennials. We find walls between Christians and Muslims. 
between those who are HIV positive and those who are healthy. We discover in our world that maybe we haven't accepted everybody like God already has. You see, value is something that that someone places on something in particular. Four and a half years ago, when we moved down here from Kansas City, we put our house on the market uh, to sell, and we made a decision based upon some information that, hey, this is the price that we should put on the house. And so within a week, we had several offers, and there was kind of a bidding war going on until finally we actually got more money for the house than we had wanted in the first place, which is a great thing. But someone valued that house more than we put value on the house. And spiritually speaking, we discover that in our own life. Paul wrote another letter to the church in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he reminds us, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. And the price that God paid for you was his son, his only son, the death on the cross, which ended in a glorious resurrection from the dead. And because of that, Jesus Christ has conquered everything. Now everyone has the ability to have a relationship with our creator through his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. But you and I so many times look down our nose at other people and we say, you know, you're not even garage sale material. But God says, I'm going to take that plank and I'm going to allow my son to die on it. You see, he was crushed for our iniquity. He was pierced for our transgressions. The weight of our sin is on his shoulders. He was crushed for us. And God said, I will build a bridge, not a wall, so that you can have relationship with me. I'll build a bridge for those rape victims in the world and the rapist. I'll build a bridge for those who have been emotionally and physically traumatized and for the ones causing the trauma. I'll build a bridge for those who are unchurched, those who belong to hell's angels, those kids that have two moms, those that are addicted and those who are clean and sober. I'll build bridges for those single moms and single dads. I'll build bridges for those who continue to experience the same temptation every single week. And I'll build a bridge for you. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Wow. You and I don't have to worry about walls when it comes to God. Because Jesus Christ is that bridge for you and for me. You see, a gospel that isn't for everyone everywhere is not good news for anyone anywhere. I want to be a part of a gospel story where everyone is included. It doesn't mean that we compromise the truth. We don't walk away from the truth. We offer truth couched in love, but so many times we forget the love. And we build walls instead of those bridges. We become demeaning to those around us, forgetting that we are demeaning those that are created in the image of our God. Hide and seek is a great game. 
Anybody played hide and seek in here before? Raise your hand. First service, everybody's hand was up. Okay, I don't see everybody's hand up. We've all played hide and seek in here. And in that game, you really do want to get found, don't you? I mean, you don't want to just hide forever. I mean, some of us pretend that's how it is, but no, we, we want to get found. But my guess is in our own lives, in our circles, we've got people, you know who they are, who pretend like they don't want to be found. But if you look close enough at their life, you'll find a foot sticking out or a hand. Because at the end of the day, they want to be loved. They want to be known. They want to be a part of the story of God. They may not word it like that, but they so desperately want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And the cool thing is, is that God, through Jesus Christ, says, you are known, you are loved, and you can be a part of my family. Rob Bell, in his latest book called What is the Bible?, says it like this. Paul tells us who we are. Paul tells us what to do. Why? Because the Jesus message is first and foremost an announcement of who you are. It's about your identity, about the new word that has been spoken about you, the love that has always been yours. If you start with instructions and commands, people might be mistaken into thinking that God loves us because of what we do or how religious or moral or good we are. That's not gospel. Gospel is the announcement of who God insists you are. You're a child of God, not because of how great you are, but because God has all kinds of kids and you are one of them. And if you keep telling people who they are, who their best selves are, if you keep reminding them of their true identity, there's a good chance that they'll figure out what to do. Church, Paul wants us so desperately to see that all of us are lost without Jesus Christ. But what a glorious thing to know that we have a Savior that gave his life for us so that we don't have to worry about a wall between us and our Creator. He's built the bridge We now have redemption. We have salvation. We have life in Christ because of what he's done for us. And that should make us shout for joy from the rooftop. That should make us want to be a different person because of what he's done for us and share that story of hope and love that God is faithful in all that he does, that he pursues us and wants us to be a part of his family. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room as we sing this song. My guess is there are some of us in this room who have struggled with embracing totally how we love those around us, even those that we are supposed to bless because they curse. I want to encourage you today to embrace Jesus Christ. He will change your life forever. He is love incarnate. He showed us how to live. He's called us to not only love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but to love those around us like we love ourselves. The invitation Paul's given us is yours today.
And my hope is that your life will be changed by the Spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Let's stand and sing together.